Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Los Angeles. Kevin is bringing his rollicking road show, Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, to Largo this Saturday, August 5th at 8.30 p.m. with special guest Andy Richter, musical guest Amy Mann, and more. You can get your tickets at Largo-LA.com or Kevin's podcast page at foreverdogpodcast.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the producers of this show, Joe Cilio and Alex Ramsey. Hello, and welcome to Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Yeah. Are you ready for a great show tonight? I said, are you ready for a great show tonight? You know him from his cult classic film, Brain Candy. You know him from his beloved voice work in Invader Zim and Lilo and Stitch. And of course, everybody, you know him from his groundbreaking sketch comedy show, one of the greatest television shows of all time, The Kids in the Hall, everybody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for him? I said, are you ready for him? Well, too bad. Him isn't gonna come out yet. No, 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 him is in big trouble for failing in his duties as a podcast host. So him has been locked in a broom closet backstage since he came to the theater. Here's my list of grievances. Find the grievance du jour. Doesn't know what a podcast is, no. Lives in Winnipeg, miles away from any city with a podcast network, AKA civilization, no. Insists that 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. are his naked hours. Surprisingly, no. Ah, here it is. Appeals to a niche audience. Now, don't get us wrong. Do not get us wrong. Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show is a very popular podcast yeah. with a very specific audience. The podcast currently appeals to comedy nerds and women who didn't lock their iPhone home screens sat on their phone so precisely that their butts opened the podcast app and then they, they shifted around in their chair so specifically as to type into the search bar, Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Then when they stood up, they brushed off the back of their pants, a nervous habit, and that is when they pressed play. And that's how we keep the lights on. But we need to pull in more fans. More. 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 Because you see, we care nothing for art mm. and only for money. Oh, yeah. We see this show as far more than just a mecca for comedy nerds. We see this show as a mecca for us making money. We see Kevin McDonald as an international brand. We're talking television, movies, movies. cruises, mm -hmm. casinos, yes. luggage, clothing, lip balm, wine. So tonight... We have taken over the show for Kevin. We wrote the show with our partner, Gabriel Lax. 
We cast the show, and it's an incredible cast, ladies and gentlemen. And we even booked Craig Finn, because Craig Finn fucking rocks. Yeah. We're broadening the show's audience immensely and immediately with this obsessively engineered and excessively focused grouped script that Kevin is legally bound to perform because... His lawyer is my cousin. We smell the money already. We eat money. We actually fuck money. So please, put your hands together for the new announcer that we handpicked for a global audience. A man who has been around the world, the well-traveled announcer. God bless. Thank you. God bless. Bonjour. Ciao. It is an honor to be here announcing Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Many of you probably know me from my popular Instagram account about traveling off the beaten life. <laughs> it's pictures of me on the beach, the tops of fancy cappuccinos, and a model I pay to be my girlfriend. I have 60 million followers. In my travels, I learned that that's over half the world's population. But tonight isn't about me, so without further ado, please put your hands together for a man whose job I'm definitely not threatening, Mr. Kevin McDonald. Let's get him out here. All right, there he is. <laughs> Look at him. Get out there. Charisma. Hello. Hello, uh, and welcome to my hijacked show. Uh, I signed a bad contract, and I am obligated to read the script, so here I go, reading the script. Welcome, everyone, and I mean everyone. Thank you for being here, too, my well-traveled announcer. Hey, we're all well-traveled on the VW bus we call Earth. <laughs> Thank you all for coming to see me, Kevin McDonald! Yeah, I'm sure it had nothing to do with my Instagram post. You, uh, you, you posted the show? Sure did. The second after I posted, sold out show, baby. And I'm sure the producers noticed. Look, are you trying to take over my show? What, Kevin? Even if I wanted to, who could replace you? Well, that's a good point. It is called Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. That's right. And the fact that my name is also Kevin McDonald shouldn't bother you at all. Your name is Kevin McDonald? Yeah, and weirdly enough, my middle name is McDonald's Kevin. So technically... Kevin, McDonald's Kevin, McDonald Show. Right, right, right. But don't worry about that. Okay, uh, you know, uh, all right, thanks for posting. If we could you quiet it down a bit so I can read your script? Uh, here we go. Uh, we have an amazing guest tonight. I'm very, very happy that... Um, uh, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. Just going over something with my lawyer. Hey, are you signing a production contract? No, no, no. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the show. What the? No, it's, it's not what it looks like. It's a drawing of me, and who's that little boy? That's me, Kevin. You're my hero. <laughs> What's that behind us? That's... That's our house. Just a boy and his father figure. Oh, uh, 
I'm, I'm sorry that I didn't trust you. No, I deserve it. No, no, you don't deserve this. I, it was presumptuous of me. Uh, I'm such a fuck. No, up. you're not. Don't be hard on yourself. I, I, no, you don't get it. Yeah, you know, we all act a little crazy. I sometimes. killed a kid. I was drunk driving in Guatemala, and I hit a kid with my car, and that's why I'm always abroad. Jesus Christ. And you know the really fucked up part? There's a more fucked up part? I liked it. I liked the way it made my car go bump. Oh, my God. I liked the sound. I liked the smell. It made me feel like a big man. I'd kill that fucking kid again if I had the chance. Oh, my God. Uh, I feel like this is going to lose us some audience members, which we cannot afford to lose, believe me. Uh, that's it. Uh, I'm taking this, um, this, this over. This is my show, and I'm taking it back with a song. It's the one part of the show I wrote. This song. Craig Finn, ladies and gentlemen. His talents will be greatly wasted on this song I wrote. <laughs> I didn't write this show, just wrote this song. So it's the only part of the show that won't be wrong. And it will prove that I'm the best. Writing for Kevin McDonald, cause I'm him. Are you impressed? If this show's no good, you can't blame me. Ha ha ha, on this one, I'm blame free. So blame those guys for writing this pap. You can't blame Kevin McDonald for writing this script if it's crap I beg them not to write this script didn't wanna flop I beg them not to write unless they took my writing workshop shop shop this show based on my life about my drunken dad or my ex-wife so what did they write about well me being old the announcer killing kids which he announced I begged them not to write a word till they got advice I told them they could come and take my writing workshop Half price Twice, works out the same Twice uh, uh. I ended the song with an A. Thank you, Craig Finn! Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Great song, Kevin. Really enjoyed it. Uh, well, thank you, uh, Well Traveled Announcer. Yeah. Uh, and uh, now I'll get back to the script, because according to the script, I will be reading a selection from my brand new autobiography. I didn't write an autobiography. Yes, you did, Kevin. You wrote a tell-all. 
a tell-all. A peek behind the curtain of your life, remember? I didn't write this, and I'm not reading it. You signed away all your rights, Kevin. The producers own you, and you wrote a book. Now read it. <laughs> Chapter one. My best friends. Uh, one night, after a Kids in the Hall reunion show in Toronto, Dave, Mark, Scott, Bruce, and I were hanging out backstage when Dave's wife came into the green room with a surprise. A seven-year-old German shepherd they had rescued named Angel. This isn't true, but it, but it is actually kind of sweet. Uh, Dave's wife was telling us that Angel was supposed to be a war dog, but the military retired her uh, for being too friendly on the battlefield. Um, so all the guys went crazy for Angel. We were petting her, playing fetch. Good. Yeah. Um, kissing her on her head. Uh, you know, it was a little too much. So when it came time to take Angel out for a walk, I volunteered immediately. I do love dogs. Right. You've got the spirit of me. I do love dogs. <laughs> uh, back to the script. Uh, when I got outside, I walked her around the block, knelt down, and whispered in her big soft ears, no one takes my spotlight, and I popped her head off like a bottle of bubbly on New Year's Eve. With Angel out of the picture, I, Kevin McDonald, would be the center of attention. This is how I think, and this is who I am. This is fucked up. Hey, it's in your autobiography. It's a, I'm a really bad guy, the scandalous tell-all from Kevin McDonald, the bad boy of the kids in the hall. What? I'm not the bad boy of the kids in the hall. I'm the good boy of the kids in the hall. Bruce McCullough's the bad boy. Now, your fame's going to skyrocket after this. We're going to be rich. I didn't write this! It hits shelves tomorrow. I will sue you for libel. Sue yourself for libel and dog murder and war crimes, because technically, Angel was a soldier. Back to the script, then. Uh -huh. Chapter 2. Summer Lovin'. In the summer of 99, my girlfriend brought me to a pet store. I'm not reading this. Just read it, Kevin. Just read it. She had read a sign on the door that said, German Shepherd Puppies Inside. And completely blew me off in the middle of a really funny story I was telling. I mean, what the fuck do these puppies have that I don't have? Can they make people laugh like me? No. Were they in the kids in the hole like me? No. So I did what any disrespected comedian would do. I got into my car and drove at full speed into the pet store. Their heads were buzzing, uh, busting off like a businessman in a Chinese whorehouse. Have fun in hell, German shepherds. This is the real me. I'm leaving. If you leave the stage, the producers will find the man you based Sir Simon Milligan on and hurt him. They told me backstage. You'll hurt Joe Flaherty? True story. Do I at least get a cut out of the profits? <laughs> you really are a comedian, aren't you? That means yes. Chapter three, Sleepy Kevin. A friend told me that the annual German Shepherd Convention was scheduled to be held in New York City in September. Rumor had it that over 5,000 German Shepherds would be attending the convention. I knew this was my chance to send a message to the German Shepherds once and for all. My plan was ambitious, but I was confident I could pull it off. The first step was to learn how to fly an airplane. 
So I enrolled a flight school down in Florida. There I met a bunch of really cool guys from abroad who were just as passionate about learning to fly as I was. Learning how to fly a plane is hard. Sometimes my friends even thought about giving up. But I made sure they didn't give up on their dreams. I gave them pep talks, financial support, the benefit of my US citizenship, and I'm convinced them that whatever they did in this life would pay off double in the next. Uh, they were so close uh, to giving up, but because of me, Kevin McDonald, they persevered and graduated flight school with flying colors. The next day, my new friends and I flew a plane into the World Trade. I, I'm not going to read this. Am I going to read this? What? This is the NYPD blue. No, it's just the NYPD. <laughs> I'm a detective. Very strangely dressed detective. <laughs> I didn't do it! It's all fake! They forced me to read it! You're under arrest. It's them! It's Not them! you. You. Me? Yes, and I'll tell you exactly why. <laughs> you killed a kid! No matter how well-traveled you are, that's not okay. You fled the country. I've been hunting you for years. About two and a half years. You're the Val Hien to my Javert or Havert. Except Val Jian stole bread. You killed a kid. You were so good at covering up your tracks. I mean, covering your tracks. Oh, no! You covered them up. You would put dirt on top of them. <laughs> Until tonight, when you posted on Instagram about this show. You fool. How could you think that I wasn't following you and getting notifications? <laughs> That's when I knew I got you. So, you're under arrest. And if I have it my way, you'll be given the death penalty by somebody running over you with a car. <laughs> Please. Please. Please, I'll do anything. Well, there is one thing. What? Name it. What? Let me read the stage directions from the sketch show at Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show. Your wish is granted. Now we're going to do a sketch. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I just realized that I was supposed to talk for a while there. God damn it. And it is time for a sketch that appeals to, indeed, a very large demographic. The nuclear family. We bring you to an average little house in an average little town. A rural farm country, a county. A mother, a daughter, Linda, and Susie Kowalski sit in their kitchen. Susie knits while Linda, her nails, near chewed to the skin, thumbs through the bills. Ronald. Kowalski, Linda's husband, and Susie's father should be home from work at any moment. Oh, 
these bills. I'm sorry, honey. I knew you were set on brushing your teeth this year. <laughs> but it looks like we still need to rent out the toothbrush. That's okay, Mom. Whatever it takes to support Dad's plans to show up all who wronged him. Linda looks away in pain. An automobile's grumble echoes through the room, then stops. Ronald, played by the venerable Kevin McDonald, which is a word that very few people know, but is positive, bursts the door open. His briefcase in hand. His mood, rapturous. Oh, my loving family. What good tidings I bring. You got the promotion? I told them to eat my dark asshole. I'm following my dreams! Ronald, how could you? We need that money. I know it wasn't the best job. It was smoking cigarettes to see if it'd be safe for monkeys. And Linda, it's not safe for monkeys. Mmm, is that dinner I smell? I know you miss meat, Linda, but let me tell you, your chalk loaf is to die for. We can't afford chalk anymore, Ronald. We have to use an off-brand chalk substitute. Chow. I, I can't do this anymore. Linda, what are you saying? I'm saying you need to choose your grandmaster plan or your family. Linda, you can't do this now. Not, not when we're closer than ever to fruition. You say this every year. But this year we can pull it off and they'll all I've see. I've heard it before. This year, finally. Think of your family. This Halloween, we're going to have the spookiest decorations on the block. Linda, in a rage, picks up one of the thousands of pumpkins in the room and throws it, uh, smashing uh, another pumpkin uh, in the process. You are destroying this family! I am an artist. A sign that says, ghouls have more fun, peels off the wall. We're in debt, our son ran away to Hollywood, and you're covered every, you've covered every window with giant decals of dancing skeletons. We never know if it's night or if it's day! They're the foundation in which my masterpiece shall be built. Ron, it is July 8th. We have been over this before, and we will be over it again, Linda. It takes six months to set up a proper home haunt and six months to take it down. You're not the man I married anymore. The Ronald Kowalski I married wanted to have spooky Halloween decorations, sure. Maybe that's why I fucked him in the first place. But he'd never have sacrificed his family for cheap ambition. Cheap! Cheap! Linda, this is about legacy. Legacy indeed. Ronald opens the blinds to a window and points to one of those props that makes it, you know, it looks like a witch crashed into a tree. Because there's only half a witch and then half a broom. You've seen him. The people of this town might not remember the name Ronald Kowalski, granted, but they will remember what he did. All you care about are your pumpkins and crashed witches and your CDs that are just sound effects of chains and cost $17.99. And don't even get me started on your stupid dry ice. Ronald flies into a rage. He's had enough. He puts on a werewolf mask and gets right in Linda's face. You don't talk about dry ice that way. <laughs> I'm a Halloween guy. <laughs> Halloween guys love dry ice more than they love life. Dry ice is what puts chomp on this table, Linda. Think of your children, Ron. Why, they never thought of me. How can you say that to your daughter? 
your daughter who went behind my back for you and spent her entire college savings to get plastic surgery to look like Freddy Krueger. She has her spooky Freddy Krueger glove in the left hand. Freddy's is on the right. She was expelled from school, Ron. What? I just wanted to make you proud, Daddy. When people walked down our hallway past a painting of a man with a skull for a head with a caption painted by Michelangelo Bones, and then the painting comes down like a window, and I'm there screaming, ah, I wanted it to be authentic. So I went full method as Freddy. The school caught her trying to enter the dreams of the other students. <laughs> you know, they usually have a three-strike policy, for, but for this, they bumped it to two. Bill! Son? I blew it, Pops. You know, it ain't easy writing for big-time Hollywood types. I toiled, toiled. Writing jokes every day from sun up to sun down. Just clacking away. All just to see each one rejected every day. It was hard. I thought about flying the coop more than once, but then I thought to myself, is that what my pops would do? No, no, it's not. So I toiled some more. You know, these big comedy shows, the hosts have earpieces in so the writers can pitch them off-the-cuff remarks in the moment to make them seem all brainy. <laughs> this is my shot. Yeah, I had an idea. I'd been working on tinkering late into the night, like you do, Pops. <laughs> Why wouldn't it, right? It was bound to work. It was the perfect joke. So when the guest, Senator Ben Sass, said, we'd love to have you come work in the fields with us, to my boss, Bill Maher, I... <coughs> anyway, I'm, I'm fired. The family sits down together. They sit huddled as if for warmth, but in this moment, it's not. It's just for each other. This is an audio podcast, but the camera tracks back like it's the end of literally every episode of Mad Men. <laughs> Months later, it's <laughs> a joke that goes better in Brooklyn than other boroughs. Months later, it's Halloween. The thousand pumpkins are carved. Fog from dry ice covers the grounds. And the house's foreclosure notices are covered with spider webs, both real and fake. <laughs> Ronald walks back and forth, pacing, giving a pep talk to the local actors paid to pop out and scare the visitors. Remember, if you're playing Scary Jason, I don't want you to just lumber around like a guy in a hockey mask. Act like Scary Jason. You know, from that movie, Scary Jason. <laughs> And most importantly of all, make sure to direct visitors to the super scary room where we have our fine actor Bethany here playing the scariest fictional beast of all, President Hillary Clinton on very right wing. Okay, break. <laughs> the actors all move to their posts. The sun is setting, and as it reaches the horizon, or horizon, to, so appears the first wave of trick-or-treaters and their families. Ron looks to them, then to his daughter, Susie, as she prepares her station in the haunted house. Linda walks up beside him. You did it, Ron. You decorated the scariest house on the block. I did, didn't I? You should feel proud. I do feel proud. But 
Why does the future feel so uncertain? Because it is. She leaves his side for the last time. Dirk, Ronald walks through his creation. He caresses the giant hairy spider made of pipe cleaners. cleaners. Wipes a tear away with the wrap of a mummy. Finally, he arrives at the fake graveyard with its choked tombstones. Anita Head. I am dying. Vince Foster. As Ronald kneels before a dirt mound adorned with the tombstone, here lies Barry D. Alive. <laughs> he sits to digging, digging his own. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Grave. And the announcer realizes too late that it said ghouls have more fun on that one sign, but it probably should have said ghouls just want to have fun. That's the end of the sketch, everyone. It's time for an interview with me, T.J. Miller. T.J. Miller, NYPD Blue Detective. You ready? All right, good. <laughs> T.J. Miller, everybody. Hi. Sit down and stand up, T.J. <laughs> that was a good rhythm. Are you like a musician? You uh, are like a musician, right? Yeah, I played the. We actually. My wife, Kate, my mother, Herman, and I went past the saxophonist, and I used to play the saxophone for six years. Really? Yeah, and I played a little bit of piano, but I, I, never, I never worked, I never had the work ethic within the music space to do anything with it, but I was so excited at how good this saxophonist was in Washington Square Park that I ran as quickly as I could to tell Kate and Herman about this incredible saxophonist, and I pulled my Achilles tendon. So I don't like I don't like so music. No, I don't like that. Yeah, I don't care for that. Did you play bass? You look like a bass player. I mean, in the best way. I don't think there is a best way to say that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Now I do. I look kind of like a guy who would be like, "Hey, you want to smoke some weed?" Yeah. And then uh, the person's like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Cool, you got any?" <laughs> that's kind of my general aesthetic. Exactly. It's kind of a, also a suburban teenager that's trying to be cool, but it ain't happening. Uh, the bass player to me is the guy who's just happy being told when to be a meet in the lobby. He, uh, <laughs> that's all he needs to yeah, know. Yeah, he's like, guys, you mind if I come and go? Yeah, you have rhythm. Uh, I, you know what? If it was a stand-up bass, I think that is a, a compliment. You know yes. What I mean? Well, then I'm a stand-up bass. Thanks. In a way, I did picture it. I'm not, I'm not lying-ish. Uh, because saxophone uh, sort of like uh, does make me think stand-up bass. Yeah. There was a stand-up bass player in Toronto for a band called The Handsome Neds. I'm sorry I'm boring you with this. It's your interview. We want to hear you, but here I go. No, please. And, and this is not a funny story. What was the name of the establishment? Handsome uh, Neds? The group was called The Handsome Neds, and the bass player stood on his bass 
and he, uh, he stood on it, and he played it. I'm going to continue with the story. They're going to hear from you, I swear to God. Yeah. Uh, Handsome Ned died of a heroin overdose, so that's funny. And, uh, <laughs> and This he is was... a darker podcast than I expected. <laughs> I'm almost done talking. And he was the guy that played, uh, hey, it was a one-man show called Hank Williams' The Show He Never Gave. So the kids in the hall, we were a stage troupe in Toronto, and Bruce McCullough wrote a scene where it was called Handsome Ned, The Show He Never Gave. And the lights went up, and he had a needle in his arm, and the lights went down. Maybe I've just been watching different pieces of your work. I had no idea that you're one of the darker comedians working today. The yeah, cr- Bruce the crowd is booed. great. The He's crowd the... booed. We, we, we really... didn't have fans yet, and the, uh, the crowd sort of... Uh, but that was the first boo sound I heard, and I heard a little hissing, hiss and boo. Hissing and some booing. Yeah, well, you guys always did push the limits, that's for sure. And that is an edgy... Thank uh, you. That is a very Another edgy... thing about the kids in the hall... No, I'm only kidding. Um... <laughs> T.J. Miller was in uh, my very first workshop I taught. Do you remember what year it is? It was somewhere between 2000 and 2002. You probably remember your college years. No, it would have been 2000 while I was playing bass all the time. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it must have been 2002. And um, yeah, Kevin, there was a comedy festival called the Skidmore Comedy Festival. Skidmore! That's the name of the college. Yes. And, uh, but he, um, we found out that they had secured the possibility of him coming in to um, uh, to teach improv. And the big thing at this point it, with the improv groups was uh, long-form improvisation. And uh, so, they, so they brought you in. And I, I was actually kind of dating the girl who ran the festival. Her name was Saturn. Okay. <laughs> she helped me understand the pros of uh, Whippets. And uh, as, as most Saturns do. Uh, and so she confided in me beforehand. She goes, well, we spent all of our, our money, like all the budget that the comedy group has, because he, you know, obviously was like, okay, I, I'd like to bring my girlfriend, and we're, we, we need to fly first class, and this is my fee. And so he had drained their bank account completely. Okay. And I didn't say anything because I'm like, yeah, well, great. I mean, he's from the kids. The hall He's like one of the funniest people alive. I think this, this is going to be amazing. I'm sure it'll be amazing. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I hope so. I think it, it's going to be good, right? And I'm like, yeah, yes. <laughs> like, it's like two heroin addicts being like, should we do the rest of this and then go to rehab? <laughs> Breaking bad, anybody? <laughs> uh, so... So he flew out there, and I know. Are you an improviser by trade? Did you start off improvising? Yes. Okay. But I hadn't done it for 15 years. What? Before yeah, that yeah. workshop. That's I right. Think. So I also remember at the end of that conversation with her and I about him coming out there and draining all their funds. I remember kind of nodding and just in my mind being like, "Do I ask if we know if he does improv or ever has done it, or is that the nail in this? Yeah, I'm going to let that one go. All right, I'll see you later for the... What's going on? All right, let's get... So you came, and you were very funny and very nice. I bought a Keith Johnson book, and I crammed it for a week before I went. Is that true? <laughs> That's a true I story. love that. So he was cramming for a final exam that was him giving a workshop. <laughs> it's a very strange sort of linear... And, and I narrative. swear to God, my pushy manager said... Kevin, I've been talking to Skidmore for a month. Uh, they want to fly you and Brianne down. Uh, yeah, of course. <laughs> I swear talking, to God. I yeah, of course. No, but it's because these agents, that's the only thing that they get to do is like demand things for you and then turn around and be like, so here's what they offered. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
So the two of you came. You, he could we had not. fought all night, and I only had an hour and a half of sleep. Did I ever tell you that? No, but we that fought makes all night. that makes even more sense. So he comes in, and he's he's kind of sits, and he well, you know, he first goes up, and he kind of tells everybody like, "Hey, I'm Kevin McDonald. Um, we're gonna do some improv, and you know, see what we think of it, and talk about it, and uh, and that, that's what's gonna happen. So I'm gonna come over here and sit down and. Let's get uh, you know six people up on stage and six people got on stage and he's like, all right, here's the scenario. You're in a you're and you're like uh, and somebody was like, do you want do you want us to ask you for a suggestion? Or do we are we supposed to be like, can we have a suggestion of anything? And he's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so then these kids are up there being like, uh, Kevin McDonald, can we have a suggestion of a location? And he's like, gas station. And they did this weird gas station thing, which these were all like, you know, college improvisers. So they were they weren't the best, but they were good. They were all on teams. And so they did like a fairly funny sketch and everybody was laughing and being encouraging. And at the end of it, Kevin's like, That was that was really good. Didn't you guys think? And everyone's like, Yeah, yeah. I wonder what he's gonna say about it. And he was like, All right, let's get three more people up, shall we? <laughs> So he's so nice, so positive, and so Canadian that he didn't feel totally comfortable being like, well, maybe you could have been involved in it more. Like, well, you know, you did your best. I thought that was great. All right, three more up. And I guess you ask me. Okay, great, here we go. <laughs> and so this continued, and we did a couple more short from things. And then um, you said something very nice, like uh, something like, Oh, you know, you said yeah, that was really funny. That was really TJ. Uh, yeah, that was a that was really really funny. You were really really funny in that scene. And I was like, thank you. And I was like, do you think that there's anything that I could have done to like? Do you think I was present enough in the thing? You're like, no. All right, let's get four more up. <laughs> and I looked over as I'm leaving the stage, and I made eye contact with Saturn, and she just goes like this. It was such a real raw moment. But it really was like, it, it was interesting enough just to hear you talk about all kinds of things. And then there was sort of a Q&A where people could ask him about stuff. And somebody, this poor college kid, it's so pathetic when you, like actors, comedians, all these people, it's the worst when you're like in your 20s. It's awful because you don't know. You don't know if you've got what it takes. You don't know how to do it. You don't know if you need connections. You so this one kid kind of sadly like raises his hand and he's like, so how do you know if you like, you know, have the chops or, or you think that it could, you know, is there something like advice that you could give us about how to kind of get to a place where we're making a living, you know, doing comedy? So how, how do you know? And Kevin goes, you know, you just kind of know. <laughs> All right, let's get four more up. Yeah. So that's the end of that story. But I, I, I loved it. It was one of my greatest uh, memories of college, but it was not one of Saturn's greatest memories of college. And she didn't run the festival the next year. Did you split up because of that? What? Did you split up because of that, you and Saturn? No, we split up because of a lot of, my mother-in-law's in the audience, by the way, uh, a, lot of, a lot of bondage stuff that kind of, it had too much nitrous involved. And so, and she was also taking Ambien before people even knew what that was. And I was like, how are you getting that? Uh, no, it was we we were like apart for. Sorry, you know, I asked you that. 
No, no, that's okay. I mean, she. I my. I met my wife in college soon after. Uh, you know, splitting with Saturn. So I, f- I feel a lot better. Okay, I'm sorry. And guess what my wife's name is? Venus. Lunar eclipse. <laughs> yeah, just like something <laughs> even less applicable. Funnier. It's a phrase. The elliptic. Her, her full name is the elliptical trajectory of the comet. It's hyphenated. She took my last name. I do remember in that workshop that every time uh, there was like a 30 seconds where people were walking on stage, I'd go to my um, bag that I brought, I'd open it up, I'd uh, sneak a page reading Keith Johnson, and then t- for inspiration, because I was so tired, because we were fighting all night, coffee makers were broken, it was like, a, I would look at the $10,000 check I was getting, and that, and that would give me some energy. <laughs> And then I put it back in the Key Johnson book. $10,000 check, that means she borrowed money to fly you guys first class. <laughs> Two so things sorry. have just happened. I got more information than I ever had about this. And two, now uh, Saturn, who I apparently know on Facebook, is about to find out that you were sneaking peeks from uh, a Key Johnson. <laughs> Impro. Oh. <laughs> Which wasn't even the book that anyone was reading. They were reading Truth and Comedy at that time. I know. So I was you were reading 80s. a book from like the 70s. 76. Yes. Ah! Just teaching us the ways of the 1970s. <laughs> sort of. Sort of, right. You, be positive. <laughs> I always compliment them. Don't say much. I mean, what? I, I, love the, I love the idea of a moment where they're like, do you do you want us to ask you for a suggestion? And you're like, um, <laughs> a ten thousand uh, yeah, dollar yeah, check. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Sure, sure. You're on a ten thousand dollar check. <laughs> you're on. <laughs> it's like a magic carpet, but where other people get hurt in the process of you flying. No, it's great. She, she'll Saturn will really, really. I'm sorry, love that. Saturn. So funny. I, I'm very sorry. No, but it was so. She h, she believed in it, and she knew. David Hemelfart told me he was offered. I, I got to tell you, I, I don't blame you for any of this. I blame your goddamn agent yes. for ruining the Skidmore <laughs> comedy program. Yes. I, the sir. college itself later failed because of that debt. <laughs> so it no longer exists. And everybody who got a degree from there, that was nullified. I'm I guess so what I'm saying is, it's not just the kids in the hall that have had a lot of influence over people's lives. You yourself. Yes. <laughs> coffee maker was broken uh do you really uh not like long form i have a thing about short short form we never liked it the kids in the hall we never liked uh we did theater sports keith johnson's theater sports and <laughs> we never because it's like games and you have to think quick and we never um but you came in the age when short form was just starting well actually so popular it was starting to be cool to do long TV form show. and so my yeah there was a tv show uh whose line is it anyway but my my group was one of the first groups to only do long form. So we, we'd done short form in between, so it was a combination of both. And then we kind of took the short form out completely. And I actually, I like long form. It's just, we, we, we learned how to do it at this place called the Annoyance Theater. Whereas at I.O., which there's an I.O. here, and that was Improv Olympic in Chicago, all of the heralds that they do, and some of you right now are like, fuck you, I spent $200 last month at UCP, you piece of shit. Um, but, uh, and I know that probably was cheap. Uh, so it, they start all of the long form going, whoosh, whoosh, and everybody has to sort of track, and then they find characters, and it's like the worst five to 10 minutes of a person's life as an audience member. 
It's more embarrassing if you're up there doing it, to be sure. And if you're not embarrassed by it, I'm embarrassed for you. And so they'll swoosh and whoosh and How do that. How about running to end the scene? Do you hate that? I hate running to yes, end the scene. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sweep editing. Like when you see a scene ending, you gotta go. It, it, it's a little Benny Hill. Yeah, it is. A little Keystone Cops. Oh, that seems like a good edit point. Um, I didn't have the mic cord length to be able to uh, finish that a piece of physical comedy, and I want to apologize to the audience. It was limited, but still funny. It's, yes. Uh, uh, here's a question that everybody asks, and it's a dull question, but I am genuinely interested. When did you know you were funny? At what point in your life? I think about, well, maybe three or four minutes ago. It really felt like it. <laughs> but before that, it never was. Well, what I wanted to just let me say one more thing about yes. long-form improv, and that is that... We all know, remember they do five minutes, sometimes 10 minutes of this organic opening, they call it, okay? That isn't funny and is weird to watch and it's embarrassing and it shouldn't be happening. And it's not part of theater. It's something that would belong in an art happening in 1976. And uh, <laughs> I always wink towards the audience, TJ, always. Uh, so we all know that rule of comedy where you want to start your set getting no laughs for five minutes. And then when the improv set doesn't go very well, when you guys are at the gas station and doing all that stuff, you're like, what is what is wrong with this audience? Well, you just ruined the first five minutes of their evening. So now they're kind of like, Ugh. So I think, you know, it's when done correctly, it's really a piece of art. And when it isn't? Uh, it's TJ and Dave. <laughs> but oh. not the real TJ and Dave, me and this guy named Dave who's never done improv. <laughs> the other Dave. He used to go to Skid Oh, more. you know what else I hate about long form? Because I teach workshops and they invite me to do improv sets all the time. Yeah. Uh, before the show, they say uh, they're eager. Like, they're like 35, but they, f they feel like they're 18 and they're eager. They're eager 35-year-olds. And they... <laughs> And like they're college students, but they're like the college students that played college students in Jerry Lewis movies. They're 35, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but still, like, what's happening here? I was right. And they say, "Do you want to warm up with us?" And I always, "Oh no, thanks." Uh, oh, yeah, and it's yeah. the worst thing in the world that they make noise, <laughs> and then they give each other the noise, and they take the noise and make it a different noise. <laughs> I swear to God, it's like that's why I always got along with sketch comedians and stand-ups more. Because of that very thing. Like, I hated being, I loved improvising, and I don't really do it very much anymore because of that thing where you have to be like, bunny, 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 and then they have to go, and you're just like, please let this somehow end before it, oh no, it, I, I remember being, I remember being in the alley in Chicago outside of I.O. and all of that was happening and it was so horrible and I'm embarrassed for these people and I'm sad that I'm involved. And I remember thinking, I was like, you know what? You people. You people are too close to actors and not close enough to stand-up comedians. One day I will exit this... I'll get rid of that, and I'll be able to just go on stage and be like, how's everybody doing tonight? Isn't this been a great night so far? Give it up for all the other comedians. Let's do that. Where's the energy? How are we doing? All right, here's a joke that I know you will laugh at that's going to begin the, the show and make you all be excited about being there. Uh, not a... What if I said stand-up? I did that. I just got on stage, and I was like, hi, everybody. Five minutes later. 
You know, ever noticed that you can say young girls, but you can't say young, young girls? <laughs> Whoosh! That becomes my, like, rim shot. Uh, living, breathing, walking nightmare. All right, let's just talk about improv. I also hate uh, freeze. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's always freeze, and it's always someone like Jesus Christ on a cross. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what's interesting is one of the things to do with freeze, and it, it can be very physical and fun, but is to like freeze in when somebody, you know, there's like a guy standing here and another guy went to pick something up and then come in and be like, whoa, what did I walk in on? It looks like you're picking something up and you're just standing there. So you kind of trick people into thinking that you're going to, yeah, do the easy stuff. But the kids in the hall, had a th uh, we had a thing in theater sports. If one of us, we were doing a group thing and one of us were in a scene, they'd always do this. And then I would have freeze, and I would come out, and he'd be like this. I go, I don't know. Where do you think it's from? Where do you think it's been? And that was our big kids in the hall joke. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where do you think it's been? Oh, <laughs> uh, I yeah. And we'd we'd go to the bar afterwards, and we'd laugh and laugh. <laughs> for 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 seconds, all of you understood what was going on, but I had maybe lapsed for a moment and doubled back and been like, Can I call that thing back? And I thought, when I tuned back in, that, that you were making a mustache and going, where do you think this has been? And I was like, I don't, on your face? I'm not Hitler. positive. But that actually brings me to something that I wanted to say. And I know probably most people come on here as comedians and say like how influential you know, the kids in the hall were, but really you specifically. I, I, don't care. I, don't, I don't care for Bruce McCullough, the bad boy of kids in the hall. Just kidding. He gave me his uh, first television show, Carpoolers. So um, I would come home every night after uh, school, and on Comedy Central they were rerunning old SNLs and old Kids in the Halls. And so I would watch that hour of television. And the Saturday Night Live stuff was very funny, and you got a good sense of the sketch. But I have a different uh, reason to thank you, which is that I still, right now, am one of the only like working absurdists in, in the stand-up sphere, and it's an, almost in, impossible to get absurdism to be universally in, enjoyed. If you think about it, it's really only like you guys, Monty Python, Steve Martin. I was in the bathroom like think, washing my hands, uh, thinking about like, I just wanted to say that because my wife one time, my mother said to my wife, she goes, did you know I read somewhere that most men don't wash their hands? after they go to the bathroom and, and Kate's like, ugh, that is so gross. And my mother's like, I know, right? And so now whenever I go to the bathroom, I make a big deal of like splashing the water around, having water dripping from my hands when I come out and I'm like, oh, I don't know, it's not like I had them in the toilet. <laughs> and uh, and if, I, if, I, if I start to walk out with that and she's out though, she'll go, don't you dare. So I was in there trying to think of who the absurdists were that kind of had become universal. Steve Martin is a brilliant uh, yeah. example, I think. Steve Martin, I, always, uh, I, was, I was boring someone with this earlier today. Was it you? I'm sorry if I was. But Steve Martin, he sort of did anti-comedy. And Monty Python, they did anti-comedy. Yeah. Uh, um, and Albert Brooks did anti-comedy. Yeah, see, he's another absurdist, yeah. But they found a way to get, a, uh, especially Monty Python and Steve Martin, to get a popular audience. out of, And you're like that. You well, are like that. I'm not even lying. It, it just hit me. You're like that. It's tough. Well, thank you. I mean, it's tough, though, and it's interesting because, like, the AV Club, which is the New York Times of Indie Comedy Nerds, uh, 
<laughs> Do I seem jaded? I was out very late last night. That's why I'm sweating like I'm going through withdrawal, because I am. Uh, so, uh, they, I, I, so I, they wrote about Meticulously Ridiculous, which is this HBO special that I just I haven't seen it, it, but I love it. I don't have HBO in Canada. I'm going to get it. I, I love it already. Oh, thank you. Um, that seems like a strange way to enter the special, but I think it could go well for me, yeah. Um, but it's sort of part absurdist and then part kind of real. And the AV Club was like, I mean, basically said, like, when is he going to stop doing this absurdism stuff? Like, just be a comedian. Just be authentic. Talk about yourself and the things that you've been through and how hard it was to grow up. And, you know, an Indian kid from South Carolina. <laughs> just, just do that, TJ. Why don't you just do that? Go up and whine about politics and have glasses and always be like, WTF, am I right? Seriously, am I right? Would you, you get a prescription? Uh, or, sorry, a membership. Oh, no. A prescription. Uh, and am I going too fast and insulting too many of your idols? Uh, I can move faster. Uh, you know, and so it's really, really hard to get a lot of people to like absurdism. But exactly. I have found some real success in it, especially in my sketch group, which is called Heavyweight. And um, they, you know, these, it's these three guys, Nick Vader, Otmar Crowderman, and uh, Brady Novak, and we've been working together since Chicago, so forever. And um, they're... It's truly absurdist. I mean, you know, it's like we have a blackout. You, you shared a blackout with us. Uh, I'll share a blackout with you guys. We had a blackout where <laughs> the lights come up and I'm sort of up like this with a broom trying to, like, get above the door, right? Like, get, there's a ledge above the door, and I'm kind of knocking around like that. And uh, then Nick Vaderot comes over and he goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I can't. I just can't get him. <laughs> Ah, there! And then 30 babies fell on us. <laughs> like 30 baby dolls. And then he's like, that's where they were. <laughs> so it's like stuff like that, you know? Which, as you can see, did really well with some of you, and then the rest of you were like, I thought he said he was Indian from South Carolina. Where are those jokes coming out? I don't hear what's going on with him. Come on. It's a matter of taste, but I love that you do both. I was talking in an interview earlier today the woman who interviewed me, she's very short. She's in the back. She can't see us. But we were talking about uh, John Lennon. <laughs> I love that that's part of it. She can't see us. You need to know this. She's a short woman. Very small. <laughs> small in stature. But no, no, big in stature. But, but small in the back. But she's in the back. Uh, John Lennon, he did both. Uh, he would write, I am the walrus. But then he would write, uh, are you too young to remember John Lennon? Uh, <laughs> no, but my wife dated his son. There you go. Is that true? Yeah. I'll talk to him. It is fucking true. And now he's with Saturn. But then she got the fucking picture, so everything's fine. Um, he did both. Absurdism, and then we'd write no, about I himself. No, I think you're really right. And some of the best bands to me, like Weezer just did this thing with Pat and Oswald. Did you guys see that or no? Oh, God, you've got it. It's called uh, I Love the USA, and it's really, really like funny and smart and interesting and kind of positivistic in this current administration, which is very rare. So you guys should definitely watch that. But Weezer was another musical group that did both serious songs and, uh, you know, Do You Want to Destroy My Sweater? Yes. <laughs> and I know you know uh, Weezer is. Christ, all of the jokes that I wrote for the show just <laughs> fell out. <sighs> sorry, I'm not setting you up. If Janine Garofalo told me once, she told me a thousand times, keep track of your notebook. 
You need to use it when you're out there. What are you gonna do, memorize the jokes? No thanks. Then they'd flow appropriately instead of having dead air in between them. She's such an, I love her, but she's such a notebook comedian. She is, but I, I really, really love her. I she love ended her. one of her sets once, which is very like rambling and, uh, no, no, but in like a, uh, there was a lot of pathos to this particular set. And then she ended it and she kind of realized how raw and heavy it had been. And she goes, does anybody have any Vicodin? And I'm not joking. I know it seems like I'm joking because I'm a comedian, but honestly, if you have Vicodin, I'm going to be right out here, right over here, and please bring it to me. And nobody brought her any Vicodin. It was the first time I haven't had Vicodin and been like, if only I had Vicodin, but reality bites. Excellent. Funny thing about that, I'm not sure she was even in that movie. But I do know she's been guilty of shoplifting. No, Sorry, but that was a double back reference to Winona Ryder that a lot of you were like, has he stopped making sense? How bad is this withdrawal going to be? Because he's sweating. They were in out. a movie together. They were in a movie together. Yeah, really? Bites, you said it. Yes! Nice, yes. Uh, I, I have a question. Uh, I, we have one minute, apparently, or our finger is up. No. Um, where, where do you think it's been? <laughs> Couldn't have done it without you. Thank you very much. I, said, uh, I have two questions. We'll see if we get to any. Um, do you, uh, <laughs> as a stand-up... From the three-point line, swish. I have so. a feeling that as a stand-up, and you are brilliant, and I'm not saying that. I, I, I sound ask you see, but I happen to be telling you the truth. Are you, um, do you come up with... Uh, is it all tight, or do you have sort of loose ideas that you know you're going to say, but you had, there's freedom for you to improvise with your improv background? It's sometimes it's loose ideas. Sometimes it's got to be perfectly worded, like um, like this. Ready? Hold on. Because I do. I think this is. You know, and I I also hate when comedians are like, I'm gonna read you a couple of jokes that uh, I did when I was high. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, I am the walrus. <laughs> what was my problem? Uh, problem was you got high and didn't write jokes. Should have gotten high and wrote, written jokes. But, like, you know, this is just an idea, but it also, I have to say it exactly like this. This is one of my notes. I dress to win strip poker. Uh, and then the next thing, you know, the next thing will be like, hello, the bacon chapter. So that's like some of your guys' ham stuff, you know what I mean? But yeah, then I'll go on stage and I'll kind of work it out. And then a lot of what I do is, because I'm an improviser, I riff a lot. So I won't even have an idea. I'll sort of talk to somebody in the audience and then get something. And I, I believe very strongly that like all the riffs are already out there. You just have to look for them and approach them from the right angle. Which one of the ways that I do that is if somebody yells something rude, I recontextualize their behavior. So I ask them what they do for a living, what their vocation is. And then when they tell me, I say, geez, you must be really good at that because of your behavior. And then it shames them into being quiet. <laughs> but it's not mean. It's just a recontextualization. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I kind of work, just like I do in all of comedy, I kind of work from many different angles, many different mediums, many different platforms. I have a podcast. Yes. Well, I'm on Cash Levy's podcast a lot. I was going to talk about all this stuff, but then we just, uh, we, we, we went, I followed your riffing, and it was fun. It I, was fun. I was Did gonna you guys like stuff. the funny show, or do you wish you could have heard a boring show about what I think about things? Because <laughs> <laughs> I've got some opinions. <laughs> Especially about this fella in the Woot House. Go on. 
<laughs> yeah, no, never, never. Uh, well, let's. Wait, if, do you want to do one more question? You what know what? I, you know what my last question was going to be? What? What's your ideas on the guy in the White House? Because I always, I always ruin my interviews with the comic by asking them that. Oh, that's really funny. I've always been. No, no, it is because I, I've, I've, I've not been able to say this yet, but I was always a huge supporter. Um, you know, from the get-go, and I, I put a lot of money into the campaign and multiple super PACs. So I would max out one super PAC for him, and then I'd do another super PAC, and I just kept throwing money at him because I believed he was going to be able to take America back in time to when coal was relevant, and he definitely wasn't conning all of these people that were selling a dream that isn't real. So I, I really am happy that this is all going on, and you guys should watch uh, Fuck Yeah!, uh, I, you should watch I Love the USA. Um, but I, I think we're living in a post-real reality where a reality star is also the president, which is kind of what Mike Judge was saying in Idiocracy, that prescient, strange genius. <laughs> <laughs> Not prescient. Why would I even make a joke? Uh, so, it's not worth it. Uh, so I... Uh, you know, I, I think that we're all coming to accept that this is just like the fall of the American empire and that we have to kind of wait and see when there's an opening to figure out. I mean, I, I think Hollywood is kind of doing their best, you know, I think in a lot of ways. And that's why they're trying to alienate them in the press because they're like really going at them with everything that they've got. And I just, you know, we all saw it, but Meryl Streep, when she kind of gave that the fuck are you laughing at? She's an American treasure, you piece of shit. I'll slit your throat outdoors in front of more people so that they all know what you did was wrong. I'll fucking tweet about it. I won't do video. I think that's gauche, but I will tweet about it. I hate when people say bougie. I think their throats should be slit. Side note. Uh, Meryl Mer Streep. Meryl Streep. You guys saw the speech that she made. I mean, to talk about him without using his name, you know, to talk about the responsibility of power rather than making it some sort of particular issue, but make it about being the leader of the free world. I just, I just, when, when she said that and she was finished, I just wanted to grab her by the pussy. You know what I mean? Just grab that sweet pussy and pull her towards me and give her a kiss on the forehead and say, you sweet American treasure. I'm about to release your pussy, but I'm a star, so I'll decide when. Ladies and gentlemen, the brilliant T.J. Miller! Yeah! Thank you so Always much, Kevin. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. Always end on Meryl Streep and pussies, he said. And he's right. Thank you so thank much, Thank you guys so much. T.J. Thank you, Brooklyn. Good night. Thank you, T.J. Miller. Now I'll get things out of the way. And now, we're going to end the show with an amazing treat. Uh, one of my favorite musicians from one of my favorite bands. Are you ready? Are you ready for a mini concert by Craig Finn? Sorry for screaming. This one's about death and dying. <laughs> and the small possibility that you're going to wrap things up in a positive way before the end of it. It's called Maggie, I've been searching for our son. There's a darkness in my body And I think I might be ready 
Maggie, I've been searching for our son. There's a big hole in my thinking. Lately, I've been seeing things. Maggie, I've been searching for our son. If you're down and out, if you still have any doubts, if you doubt that there's a savior yet to come, stop what you're doing, close your eyes and keep on breathing. Slowly turn your face up to the sun. It was warm in Arizona. It was cold in Colorado. Maggie, I've been searching for our son. There were crosses on the altar. There was gold in El Dorado. Maggie, I got blisters on my thumbs. If you're all strung out, if you still have any doubts, if you doubt that there's a rapture yet to come, hey, pick up the paper, see the stories and the pictures. Kid went to the movies with a gun. There's a house out in the desert And I live there with some people Maggie, that guy said he was our savior Once he took our women Turned us into his soldiers He had a patch of radical behavior and the H.E.F. were belligerent. Well, there were handcuffed girls with barely any clothes. There was power in their numbers. There was silver in their holsters. The trucks as they rolled slowly up the road. There's a darkness in my body And I think I might be ready So if you're stuck down south If you still have any doubts If you doubt that there's a heaven yet to come 
there's a darkness in my body and I think I might be ready Maggie I've been searching for some Maggie I'm still searching for some Thank you. Thank you. So, that's as depressing as I'll get. I wanted to lead with that. This song's about nicknames. Uh, <laughs> it is a song about, all my, a lot of songs are about nicknames. My, my band, The Hold Steady, the first song we ever wrote is a song called Knuckles, and it was about nicknames. That one's about how hard it is to give yourself a nickname, which is pretty much impossible. I was talking to my friend about school, um, and the guy in the dorm next to me, I remember on the first day, was like, call me Diamond Dave. <laughs> you will never be called, I will call everyone in this dorm and everyone in the school Diamond Dave before I call you Diamond Dave once. <laughs> Now, these people are named Justin and Jane, but their nicknames are Junebug and Jester, but no one calls them that anymore. So they go back to that place. They try to recapture that place where they're Junebug and Jester. They try to go back there geographically, physically, spiritually, emotionally, and does it work? We're about to find out. Well, the bartender's friend sold us something I think was probably coriander. Fourth quarter, Hail Mary, wide receiver. Hail Caesar, the guy we've been waiting for, came up from the catacombs, walked in for the bathroom, put it under the trash can. Now went in after. Do you even remember? They used to call us Junebug and Jester. They used to call us Jester and June. We used to have our own tune. We used to sing it in church. But then it got worse. We put too much faith, gave too much cash to that one creepy kid at the car wash. Said he could make a few calls But I don't think that he made any calls Well, we probably should have tried The guy with the Dracula cape Cause other than the cape, he was cool He had that wild kind of sadness Like he knew something important I wonder if he even remembers They used to call us Junebug and Chester they used to call us Jester and June We were laughing, making jokes Laughing, making jokes Smiling in the smoke They used to call us Junebug and Jester We were drinking, falling in love Drink and fall in love Fall around the clubs Yeah, they used to call us Jester and June 
We used to know all the tunes. We used to have our own church. But then it got worse. Well, now, honestly, officer, that's a really good question. I'm just kind of distracted about those jangling handcuffs and the flashlights in our eyes. Too much faith in desperate guys. Too much fun in eight straight summers. Do you remember Junebug and Chester? Well, now they're called Justin and Jane. We try to push through the pain. We try to work through the hurt. We try to build our own church. Well, now the cops got our names as Justin and Jane. The only people waiting at the car wash in the rain. The clubs have all changed. The buildings fell away. We were hoping that this corner might remember June Bug and Jester. Now we're called Justin and Jane. I got one more. These are all from my new record, sort of new, which is called We All Want the Same Things. My name's Craig Finn. This kind of goes to Kevin's last question to TJ. And, uh, I don't have any big picture answers, but seems like there's a lot of people that are uh, not telling the truth these days. The song's about telling the truth. It's called Be Honest. Well, her body was an outpost for ideas that didn't work. A nation failed and broken, invaded and then burned. And the crumbles and the ashes settled in a purse with the ruins of an empire, the people we once were. We'll lumpen up towards Lake Street. And she motioned towards the church. She said the hardest thing they ask me is Amanda, does it hurt? Because it's not pain, it's more like pressure on the edges of my eyes. I see scales and bloody feathers when I look into the lights. And my password is be honest. And my network has evolved. 
And I can't guarantee Pick up every time that you call Ain't it spooky when they all go away? Ain't it strange when they just disappear? Really sucks getting sick on the bus. It's even worse when the teenagers cheer. Ain't it funny how we all get by? But not the way that makes us laugh. Well, the lust burns off into handshakes and hugs. In the end, it comes down to the cash. Man, I was calling from the car park when they kicked in the door. They pulled the pistols from the holsters, put the people on the floor. It's not the fear, it's the frustration. Getting sick of being scared. They pulled your princess to her feet. They made a handle from her hair. I was thinking about the progress. How a change is gonna come. Man, I was hearing the announcements. I was running from the guns And desperation fueled the dancers There's a sadness in the sex And we lingered over dinner And we ran out on the check And our safe word is still stop it And our style is self-involved and I can't guarantee a pickup every time that you call. Ain't it something how the people switch partners? Yeah, you just gotta wait your turn. It's really hard getting kicked in the heart. It's even worse watching big buildings burn. Ain't it strange how it all fades to black just when it starts to feel really nice? Man, I was banging around your party trying to locate all the love and the light. And the speed it crested early, and then it ran its course. So I showered and got ready, started on my chores. It was rushing through my blood. It was coming from my pores, and my heart was charging forward, and I threw up off the porch, and we were lamping up towards Lake Street. She motioned towards the church, said the hottest thing they asked me, it's a matter does it hurt, cause that's not pain, it's more like pressure. Some ways that's much worse, the ruins of an empire, and the people we once were, if revolution's really coming. Thou all need to be well. So maybe it's just best if we both take care of ourselves. Be honest. I'm Craig Finn. Thanks. Craig Finn! Craig Finn! I was crying backstage. When you write a lyric that's funny and sad at the same time, you understand the world more than I do. Craig Finn. I told him once he should write a book. Shouldn't he write a book? Craig Finn. I'm in love. I have an artistic crush. Thank you for coming to the show. Keep applauding as I thank everybody. Thank you. Thank you, TJ Miller. He was brilliant. He was brilliant. Thank you, Craig Finn.
Thank you, Brian McCann. It was the announcer. Thank you, Joe Firestone. You were brilliant. Thank you, Sarah Heron Smith. Thank you, Andrew Block. Keep plotting. Thank you, Emma Foley. No relation to Dave. Thank you, Gabriel Lax. Thank you, Joe and Alex from Forever Dog. Now, um, stay at the bar and hang out for a little bit at the Union Hall. Uh, that part will be fixed soon. Thank you very much for coming. Sorry for screaming. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Brett Boehm. For more podcasts, please visit foreverdogproductions.com.